0: to hear your word taught to hear your word preached to enjoy the fellowship of the saints uh, to rejoice in our unity that we have in christ and uh, we thank you even now as we come to the the last class on covenant theology and i pray lord that your spirit would make uh, these things a reality for us not just head knowledge not just um, knowledge that puffs, puffs up, but true knowledge that gives us a greater understanding as to how we read your word, how we're to understand your word, how we're to truly uh, glorify and praise you for how you have revealed yourself to us. Uh, would you be with us this afternoon um, to the glory of your name? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we are here on the last class. We have essentially looked at like what we would say the three primary covenants, um, That God has established the covenant of redemption, which as we know was inter-Trinitarian. And then, of course, the covenant of works, which he made with Adam and in Adam, thus all men. Um, And then, of course, uh, the covenant of grace, which we looked at last week. And now what we want to turn our attention to is the unity of the covenant of grace Uh, the fact of the matter is covenant theology um and it's something i've seen more and more as i've studied it uh deeper and deeper is complex there is a lot to uh, dig into and to digest there's hard things to understand there's a multiplicity of covenant administrations to 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 work through and to kind of get our arms around Um, but what we want to understand is that all of them are necessary All of them are necessary. The Lord was pleased to reveal Himself in diverse ways and manners throughout history in order to reveal His plan of salvation. Um, And as we have mentioned a number of times, this plan of salvation was progressively revealed throughout history um, and Scripture, and then it ultimately culminated in the coming of Christ, His life, death, resurrection, and of course the inauguration of the new covenant in His blood. And so it is also, though important, to emphasize that it is a plan of salvation, not plans of salvation, not plans of salvation. Um, we see in Scripture that salvation is by grace alone, through uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. This has always been the case. These five solas, or in this case, four solas at least, have always existed, though you know, kind of brought to. Uh, you know, prominence in the Reformation, but this has always been the case for Old Testament saints as well as New Testament saints. Uh, it was not a different plan of salvation for Old Testament believers. Um, and while there are complexities and challenges to dig into, because this is on the foundational uh, level, what we want to understand is their unity or their continuity. Um, this is not these are not covenants that were made. Uh, where God is, in some sense, trying to make up for man continually breaking the covenant. And it's like an after, like, oh, they did this, and then, okay, now I need to do this, and then this, and then this. But that each of these covenants um, show uh, the full wisdom of God on display through history. Um, there's an order to them. These aren't just random things that were set in place. Um, And so in his glorious wisdom, he's revealed his plan of redemption through his covenantal administrations made in time. They are united and they fit together and they provide more and more illumination. One writer put it this way, God's covenants are symphonious, not atomistic, not siloed, not individual, but symphonious. They display spiritual harmony and evangelistic unity. Evangelistic unity, and this is what we're going to end up looking at because they all point to the same person. They all are drawing everybody's attention from old to new to one person. And this is even what Christ sought to do. If you remember on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 31, he's walking with those two disciples. And this is what we read. It says, The beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And so, Really, when we think of covenant theology, it's like we've learned all of these glorious truths and, and so forth, but it's not just for knowledge's sake. It's really, we should take all of these things and whatever foundational level or level of study that we're at in regards to this particular topic, it should inform how we read the Word of God. At the end of the day, like that's what the purpose is, is to understand the Word of God better, how He's revealed Himself, how He's um, shown Himself forth. And so, what we want to look at today is the continuity of seed, the continuity of object, and the continuity of means. And if we have time, we'll look then um, at ultimately all of the culmination of these things in the New Covenant. So continuity of seed, continuity of object, continuity of means. Now, when we think of this, Emilio has kind of drawn this out before. It's not necessarily a timeline, but more like a a line that kind of shows positions. You have uh, continuity over here, discontinuity over here. On this end, you would have your uh, paedo-baptists. They see in these covenants a strict continuity the whole way through. Okay, so obviously they they believe in the Baptist of infants, and so on and so forth. They see a continuity all the way through. On this end you have uh, your dispensationalists. What do they see? Well, obviously, that's very good. (laughs) Yeah, ultimately what they see is that each of these covenants are individual. And what that would ultimately mean is that for them, Old Testament saints were saved in different ways from how we're saved. Okay, so they see a discontinuity in the the revelation of these different, different dispensations and so forth. And so what they say is Old Testament saints would be saved by a general faith in God. No object, just a general faith. Uh, They would also say, obviously, under the Mosaic administration, they would say that it was by works. They would say that in that sense, there was, had they obeyed, there would have been salvation garnered by keeping the law. And so you see, they have a discontinuity. And of course, us, you know, we're Reformed Baptists, so we are supposedly perfectly in the middle. Perfectly balanced. No issues whatsoever, right? Um... No, but the reality is is that ultimately what this is displaying here is that we believe there is a continuity to the the overarching covenant of grace. But we also understand there to be a discontinuity uh, at certain places as well. And I'm hoping to show that, particularly in how we look at the seed. Particularly in how we look at the seed. Um, Any comments or questions so far? No? Okay. So when we think of covenant theology, or when we're we're dealing with covenant theology, what's going to be essential is the ability to handle the tension between what we could call uh, the physical and spiritual. So that's to say that in covenant theology, there is a uh, physical, spiritual, dynamic present in covenant theology. And so there's a duality and that's how it's presented really in each of the covenants, all the way up through the Davidic covenant. Um, So look at it this way. The fall, right after the fall, Eve's seed is mentioned. Eve's seed is mentioned and there's a true physical seed, right, that would disseminate from Adam and Eve. There would be a physical population uh, to the whole of the earth. But that at the same time, what we see though is a distinction being made between what Eve's seed and the seed of the serpent, which then raises it, if you will, to a spiritual level. There's a spiritual distinction taking place. There's sure to happen physical, uh, um, you know, physical people to come from them, okay, to descend from them. But there's going to be a physical, there's going to be a spiritual dynamic as well now between, you know, the seed of the serpent and the seed of The woman Uh, same then with Noah you know with Noah he was seen as a righteous servant Uh, he was righteous before God Um, and then after the flood we know that again there's going to be a physical uh, uh, descent of mankind from him and his his children Uh, but there's also um, a spiritual aspect through Shem and so forth okay In the Abrahamic, we encounter the seed reference again. And we're going to look at this a little bit more closely as we move through uh, these different points. But there's a seed reference again, and it is physical and spiritual. Abraham's seed would become many nations. Many nations. Physically, many nations. You have the people that came from the sons of Keturah, and then you have, of course, um, um, Ishmael and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Esau, who was hated, right? So there's a physical descent uh, that would flow forth from Abraham. But at the same time, there's the spiritual, right? Through Isaac, your descendants shall be named, is what we see. Um, And so not all Israel is Israel, as Paul goes to say. And so he actually draws that line as well, that, okay, well, there's Israel, but not all are Israel. And so he's drawing a distinction between physical Israel Israel and true Israel. Does that make sense? Under the Mosaic, we have here the formation of the Israelites into a true theocratic nation, but a nation that is mixed. There's physical people that are under that covenant. All of the Israelites were under that covenant physically and then spiritually there would have been those um, who uh, would have been true Israel. In the Davidic, we see physical kings that would come forth from David's line, uh, such that if they didn't walk according to the way that they ought to walk, what would happen to them? They would be punished. They would be disciplined. Uh, But at the same time, what we see is that there's one to come that will sit on the throne forever. And so that also kind of brings this spiritual, eternal aspect to the table that you'd have an eschatological king that would arise. But in the New Covenant... Uh, It's here where I believe the physical-spiritual distinction stops. Now, yes, we are physical people that partake of this covenant, but all in this covenant are all the spiritual seed. And that's where then the continuity stops, and that's where ultimately I think, you know, one aspect of where the paedo-baptists will get it wrong is that there's no more mixed seed. Here's what we read in Jeremiah. Why don't you turn to Jeremiah 31, 31, and we'll read verse uh, all the way up through 34 so 31 31 through 34 here's what we read behold days are coming declares the lord when i will make a new covenant with the house of israel and with the house of judah Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying know the lord for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them declares the lord for i will forgive their iniquity and their sin i will remember no more there's a distinction being drawn between old covenant and new covenant in the new covenant it's going to be written on our hearts the people are going to be truly the people that are partakers of that covenant are going to be true spiritual seed that now has his word written on their heart. It's not going to be like the old covenant where you had to essentially remind the people, know the Lord, know the Lord, follow the Lord, obey the Lord. Now this seed, this spiritual seed in the new covenant is going to innately want to do that. All of them. And so there's no longer a mixed seed where you would have uh, people who are truly under the new covenant not truly be saved like you could have under the old covenant mixed physical spiritual not here in the new this is where that distinction stops and that's why we would say we see continuity and then it kind of breaks with this with the inauguration of the new covenant that comes in uh it's heightened in a sense it's uh you know there's there's uh it's it's clearer if you will um, such that now, if you think about the phrase, the kingdom of priests, they were to be kingdom of priests, as we read in the Old Testament, under the Mosaic law, they were a king- kingdom of priests. But now we truly are, as Peter says, kingdom of priests. Uh, those who are under um, the new covenant now, those who are in Christ. Does that make sense? Ish? Okay. So, now that brings us to continuity of object, continuity of object. When we consider continuity of object, what am I referring to? You have to come up with these like outline points, right? So, uh, continuity of object, what would that refer to do you think? That's right. So the object that is continuous all the way through, so no discontinuity on that sense, like we would agree continually all the way through the object is Christ. Um, That Though Christ had not yet come, how were Old Testament believers saved? Christ hadn't yet come. So how were they saved? They were looking forward. That's correct. They were looking forward to the one to come, just as we look backward to the one who came. Okay? They were looking ahead to Christ. Um, and so I want to look at this in two ways. And I don't, I'm, you know, the two ways I want to look at it are through the seed. Again, this has been a, 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 a point that we have referenced uh, many times. But through the seed, yet again, and then through uh, types and shadows. Specifically, my, my goal was to look at these in light of the covenants themselves. Not just do a whole biblical theology of types and shadows. But in each of these covenants, what is it that we kind of see put forth? Um, what is there? So, first as it relates to the seed, we obviously understand... Uh, You know, there in Genesis 3:15, the distinction uh, that is present, or really the first gospel uh, in seed form that is issued. Um, And so, what we ultimately see is in this progressive revelation of the seed. You have the seed form here in Genesis 3:15, greater light provided in the Abrahamic, as far as uh, through uh, Isaac, your descendant shall be named. We'll get into this in a little bit further when we look at the Abrahamic covenant in particular. And then uh, in the Davidic king, then in the prophets, where he's to be born. I kind of mentioned that previously. And then, of course, the incarnation. That's kind of the flow to where you see the arrival of the seed, um, the ultimate seed, which is Christ. And so that's what we read. Genesis 3.15. Here we have the gospel in seed form. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Um, It is here that we have the true seed present in seed form. You know there's going to be somebody that comes. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. Um, And the rest of Scripture starts laying out, who is this seed? Because if you, I think it's uh, Genesis 4, and you go through and it's like, you know, their child is born. He says, I've begotten a man, thinking, oh, maybe it's him, okay? Okay. And so what you ultimately see is this, can, this revelation that ultimately centers on who is this seed that was to come. Um, and it is this seed that we need to understand as the object of salvation. This is the seed that's the object of salvation. Why? Because it's this seed that's going to crush the head of the serpent. Uh, though his heel would be bruised, which of course signifies the death, um, which signifies his death. And so it was this seed that Old Testament believers were to look forward to for ultimate deliverance. Not physical deliverance from enemies and the hardships of by the sweat of your brow. But true spiritual deliverance was to come from this seed. And interestingly enough, from a biblical theology perspective, you can track this deliverance typified in various ways. I mean, we're going to look at, or at least mention a little bit later, like the ark. What is that a type and shadow of? Or the exodus um, bring, being brought out of captivity in the Babylonian? <laughs> all the way up to then what Christ ultimately does through his life, death, and resurrection. And so you see uh, how we're, that's, that's the ultimate focus is the spiritual deliverance. Um, all right, so the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, we see this same reference to the seed. Uh, There is a lot of complexity uh, to the Abrahamic covenant, um, but what we ultimately see is this covenant revealed kind of, I'd say, like in phases, if you will. Um, Three different times, four different times in which it's uh, referenced or in which we have the covenantal disclosure, if you will. So just like the verses for you to write down from an Abrahamic covenant perspective, uh, Genesis 12... 1 through 3. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It's here that we read of the call of Abram to go forth and that he would be made a great nation. And what we see in verse 4 is Abraham's obedience. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Genesis 15, 1 through 21. Genesis 15, 1 through 21, we have here a passage in which Abram is promised an heir, an heir. Specifically, verses 4 through 5, Abram is told that he will father a child and that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And then, of course, as he is told that, in verse 6 we read, then he believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And in some sense here in this revel- uh, the revealing of this, this covenant to Abraham, you can think back to Paul's reference in Galatians 3 about the gospel being preached beforehand to Abraham. So when he says he believed God and, he, and it reckoned to him as righteousness, it's as if he saw in this gospel that was preached beforehand the true seed that was to come. And he laid hold of that true seed by faith. This wasn't just a, 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 a general assent to Oh, yes, I trust your plan. But in that gospel, whatever that, that gospel that was preached beforehand, it would have contained the ultimate object uh, of which Abraham was laying hold of by faith. Genesis 17. Um, I don't even need to list verses on this one. The whole of the chapter has a covenantal focus. The whole chapter. Um, and it speaks of Abraham's descendants, or in other words, his seed. Uh, there is a there is present here the duality uh, mentioned earlier, physical seed and spiritual seed, uh, and this is where we see the separation. Right, verses eighteen through twenty-one. There's a distinction made between Isaac and Ishmael. Right? Do you remember he kind of pleads and says, "Well, just let my descendants be named through Ishmael." Uh, and ultimately, and we see this um, emphasized in Genesis twenty-one twelve. For through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And then finally Genesis twenty-two. Genesis twenty-two. What is Genesis twenty-two? You want to talk about another picture of (laughs) typologically of just Christ who is to come, um, and a father giving his only son and then even typified there the resurrection of Christ, or he believed that that God would be able to raise him from the dead. Uh, But we see that Abraham enters a test. There's like a climax here, if you will, in which he is tested. Genesis uh, 22.1, we read that God tested him. Um, That This test consisted of Abraham taking his son Isaac up the mountain in order to sacrifice him. And of course, Abraham obeys. And just as Abraham is about to slay Isaac, here's what we read in verses 16 through 18. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you. And I'll greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So you may be thinking, well, where's the like, covenant? Because it was established before the sign, the seal was given through circumcision. And then this is Genesis 22. Where is the covenant? Well, interestingly enough, in Acts 3.25, This is what Peter says uh, in his sermon. He said, It is is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so you see Peter take the the reference to this passage here in Genesis 22 and tie it to the covenant that was made. And so in many ways, what happens here is the reference to the seed narrows now in Genesis twenty-two, sixteen 16 through 18. There is a uh, messianic nature to uh, this passage um, in that you're talking about possessing the gates of your enemies um, and that all the, the nations of the earth shall be blessed uh, in this seed. And interestingly enough... Uh, it is here, how do we know this essentially is a specific reference to Christ? Does anybody, can anybody, why do we know that that particular seed reference there is a reference to Christ? Galatians? Do You want to pull it up? It's not fair, I already have the verse here, so... <laughs> Galatians 3, 16 through 17. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. And so what we see is seed form, Genesis 3:15, picture of the true seed to come. Then in the Abrahamic uh, covenant, you, ha- you know that the gospel was preached beforehand, he laid hold, he believed, faith was exhibited, and then, of course, uh, Paul here makes the specific call out that the seed that is in view there, that seed is Christ. Um, and so we see that even just from the seed perspective, uh, the object is Christ. Uh, Old Testament believers were looking ahead to Christ. Any comments, questions, thoughts? No? Quiet group this afternoon. (laughs) And what I hope, like I said, really is, again, you know, this is one thing to be like, oh, yeah, I can quote the verses, okay? But, like, what about when you're reading the Bible and you're seeing these? You know, you want to start connecting the dots on these things so that when we're trying to um, understand more of Scripture, it's, you know, light bulbs are going off as we're reading through. And again, some may already know this uh, through previous studies that they've done. Um, and then others, it could be very like intra- introductory, foundational level. But nonetheless, keep building on these things. And. That's really where it's like, man, we can just marvel at God's revelation. These are not, I mean, when you think about the dispensationalist perspective, these are not just, you know, disjointed, unconnected, like revelations of God, you know, by how he's going to save man and kind of making up for man messing things up. But the full wisdom of God on display and how all of these connect one to another. yeah so what i said earlier was a lot of dispensationalists what they'll say is there's they, they view that people were saved in different ways so um they would say through a general faith in god which is why i'm stressing that this wasn't just a general faith it was a looking to christ and then of course like in the mosaic it would be through the keeping of the law They they truly saw that as like a a way that people would be saved in that time. And, of course, they try to justify it by saying these are different dispensations, unconnected, and so the church age is, you know, by grace. Mosaic period was by law. Abrahamic would have just been, you know, probably some aspect of a general assent to the promises of God. Um, But when you read of, you know, God preaching the gospel beforehand to Abraham, you're like, there was some substance there at some level I'm not saying they had the full picture like we do, but what's amazing about what they, I don't want to get ahead to the means yet in some sense, but like the way, I mean, the way that these brothers and sisters would have walked in the Old Testament, truly by faith, it's like, okay, somebody's coming. We have the benefit of like completed, you know, canon of scripture, uh, men who have worked out doctrine through all of history, and looking back to one who has come and testified that he has come not just oh he's coming and you know what i mean like man you look at their faith it was a strong faith that would have been on display Um, so types and shadows as well uh, in regards to um, the one to come Uh, the object was prefigured in these types and shadows it's it's all over it's prevalent throughout uh, the old testament scriptures and Uh, This is one of the reasons, hopefully you're seeing that even in the seed or in the types and shadows, you know, what's being promoted today about like, you know, Andy Stanley and unhitching from the Old Testament and all these people that want to do away and say it doesn't apply now, completely do not understand scripture. Um, And hopefully you see that between the seed and between um, the types and shadows. Like all of this goes together together. And if it didn't apply, it's like what is Hebrews doing referencing all of these different types and shadows in the comparison between old covenant and new covenant? There's a purpose there. So first, the ark. Um, what did the ark typify? And I what's that? A wooden cross. A wooden cross. What's that? Yeah, I mean, it's so essentially the same thing. It's like, essentially, you're entering in. And some say, I would say in some sense, it, I, I think there's a, many things. You talk to Klein. I mean, he looks at it as a temple. Temple rests on the mount. Ararat, and just all that, right? Um, but I think, too, you have a picture of Christ. Why? I mean, Noah and his family enter in uh, and are covered and protected In this typological picture, like of Christ saving them from the judgment that's going to be poured out. Um, And interestingly enough, here you have Moses in Genesis. uh, You know, we read about being a preacher, or in in Peter being a preacher of righteousness. Um, He is, uh, while he's spending all those years building the ark, it's like he is also preaching repentance. And the world wants none of it. Um, They're eating, drinking, being merry, and then judgment Um, and so we certainly see in that uh, picture there now I do believe obviously that's not necessarily a picture of Noah's salvation I believe Noah was saved already Uh, we see him even called righteous before the Lord he's a righteous servant and so forth but I'm just saying typologically um, you know the ark is uh, typological of Christ and, and even other things it's not always a one to one but you can see the picture there Um, What about that of mediator? Mediator. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. He was the go between uh, between the people and God. Uh, Exodus 19, we read of his ascension into the presence of God where he received the law. Uh, He also, in his mediatorial role, was an advocate on their behalf. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, verses 30 through 32. And this is what we read there. On the next day, Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. And if not, please blot me out from your book, which you have written. And in many ways, it's like you see here a picture of uh, the mediator to come. And in in one sense, Moses is is exchanging himself. And then what do you see happen in in 2 Corinthians 5.21? He who knew no sin became sin uh, so that we might become the righteousness of God. There's an exchange that takes place there. And this exchange you see even uh, typified and foreshadowed in the Old Testament, even being shown forth by uh, Moses and of course you have sacrifices and offerings now these sacrifices and offerings some have written have said like to keep them from God in some sense that there's a separation there but at the end of the day those sacrifices and offerings sh- showed that what was needed was death what was needed was shedding of blood payment for sin so you have it in seed form and Genesis three fifteen, if you will in the sense that the, his, his heel would be bruised and you get greater revelation of the sacrifice required through all the shedding of blood of the bulls and goats and animals. Um, that ultimately then points to the greatest price to be paid, which is the shedding of the blood of the Son of God. And of course, as we know in Deuteronomy 18, I mean, Moses makes that reference of one to come. It's like he understood there's one to come, another prophet that will arise, and to him you shall listen. Uh, so we just see that in all of this, there's this move towards, towards um, the object to come, which is Christ. And then, of course, in the Davidic covenant, as I mentioned, uh, David was a type of Christ and spoke of one who was to come that would be of the kingly line. We even see that. that that's where wait- the people who were waiting in the New Testament expected him to come from the line of David to be a king. He would have a throne But it would be an eternal throne, and thus he would be the eschatological king. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16, that is the reference um, to the uh, Davidic covenant. The language there says this, um, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants, uh, your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, which we know Christ didn't commit iniquity, and so here's the physical presence uh, that we are speaking of. Uh, When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. Uh, But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul when I removed him from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And so we see that yes, physical kings would come, but ultimately, the the uh, it is pointing to one eschatological king who will reign forever. And this is even, um, you know, in First Peter one ten through twelve, we read of the prophets looking into, peering into these things, trying to ascertain the time and right um, uh, of the one to come. And so, what we have to understand, to say that there's more than one way of salvation between Old Testament believers and New Testament believers is ultimately to take away from Christ. Um, And so, what we ultimately see is that from seed form to inauguration to consummation, it is Christ all the way through. And when I refer to inauguration, if you're comfortable saying incarnation, you know, the the, the coming of Christ, uh, but inauguration, I'm talking about the inauguration of the new covenant. So that's obviously uh, bound up with Christ coming. Any comments, questions, thoughts? So the other aspect is the means. Obviously, what do I mean when I refer to the means? Yeah, the, the way that they're saved. Um, so there's a continuity of means. So continuity of object, they look to Christ, and continuity of means. Uh, essentially, uh, we would say faith and, of course, grace because in all ages, faith was truly a gift of God. It wasn't any different in the Old Testament than it is in the New. Um, Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews 11. We could read the whole of the chapter. I could even just direct you guys there to go read that chapter. (laughs) This is the chapter that speaks of Um, uh, just a whole list of Old Testament saints that walked by faith, that walked by faith. I mean, we have here Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, so on and so forth, men of whom the world, we read, the world was not worthy of these men. These are men who walked by faith, lived by faith, and ultimately died in faith. Um. And that's the, then we read this climactic statement in verse 13 through 16 of that chapter. Here's what it says. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance. So that's where we, you know, like you were saying, brother, they were looking ahead. It was from a distance they had seen these things um, and they welcomed them. And having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, it's like they had a, uh, what you'd say, almost like an eschatological perspective. They had an eternal perspective. They knew that they were just sojourners here, pilgrims on this earth, ultimately looking for a better land. And he says, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And, if, and indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. So he's saying they weren't thinking about that land, But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They looked ahead to the one to come. The object, as we just looked at, and they did it by faith. They looked for the heavenly reality that would be theirs. And the one, of course, that we probably know so well is who? That's referenced Romans 4, Galatians 3. Abraham. Abraham. Paul, in addressing the Galatians and the heretical teaching that was being spread by by men, um, right, about that they could be saved by works of the law, right, who does he use as the example? Abraham. In Romans 4, when it's talking about justification by faith, who does he use as the example? Abraham. Abraham. And so we see here where Paul turns to an Old Testament believer and shows forth the faith that he had, um, even in those days. Um, This is what we read, Galatians 3, 6 through 9. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Remember, not just physically descending from him, that would be the sons of Abraham. No, no, no. What is ultimately in view is the spiritual descendants. Those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham and listen to the descriptive term, the believer. Abraham, the believer. And this as we know was before his circumcision. That's the point Paul makes in Romans 4, is that uh, his, the pronouncement that was made to him being righteous was not after, circumc- after circumcision, which could then be conveyed as a work, and oh, he was circumcised and then justified. No, 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 no. He was justified prior to that. It was pronounced. It was reckoned to him. It was put to his account beforehand. All that we looked at in justification, right? And in some sense, through faith, righteousness was imputed to him. And just to be clear, the righteousness that was imputed to him was Christ's righteousness. Though he had not yet come, when Christ did come, die, raise, that righteousness applied to Abraham. And so there is certainly a continuity of means here. Um, It was not a general assent, but it has always been by grace through faith in any age. Um... Any comments, thoughts, questions? Just uh just think about how dispensations, you know, we're talking about the discomfort dispensations, mm-hmm. dispensations we're not seeing uh Galatians three uh, seven right as being a Christian thing of Israel now, mm-hmm. but it explicitly talks about the believer, the one who has faith, is a son of mm-hmm. the right? Yeah. And I mean, I think even the way that they wiggle around that is because of these different dispensations and they say the church age is like a parenthesis time period and it's eventually going to go back to Israel. That's why there's such a huge focus on Israel and the temple and the rebuilding of the temple, right? I mean, there's just a lot of, I mean, for them, it's just all disjointed, hard to make sense of really any of it. Whereas hopefully what we see, it's like, man, you know, Pedos have it wrong on the mixed seed and the baptism of infants. Uh, there's no doubt about that, but the continuity that is present in all of what we've looked at is just remarkable. Man could not have conjured this up, okay? This is the holy word of God who has revealed himself to us, and hopefully that's what we see in all of this uh, continuity. It's, it's one story, if you will, one revelation of one to come, one uh, laying hold of the one to come under the same means, grace and faith. And as we've mentioned in um, past classes, right, all of this reaches its climax, its zenith in the New Covenant. Why? Well, in the New Covenant, all the types and shadows, gone. The sacrifices, gone. It is a better covenant. Why? Because it can't be broken like the Old Covenant was able to be broken. The entry into this covenant, what's the entry into this covenant? What's that? Right, so there's a spiritual entry into this covenant. In the old covenant, and really uh, from the Abrahamic and so forth, how were you in the covenant? Through circumcision, essentially you were, in many ways, born into it. In the new covenant, there's no being born into it. So there's where you have that, you know, okay, there's the distinction that's being made. Uh, John 1, 12 through 13, but as many as received them, to, him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to be in the covenant. And notice the, what he says, even those who believe in his name, who were born not of the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. There's a spiritual birth. You must be born again, as we see in John 3, to be in the new covenant. Does that make sense? Do you understand the distinction being drawn there? You would have on one end if you baptize infants, for example, you're saying, well, they're in and then they're out and we'll see what, right? Here it's saying you cannot enter into the new covenant unless you've been spiritually reborn, born of God. And that is important to know, to, to lay hold of. Um, in both old and new, it's been the same. One faith, one Lord, one salvation. Um, there's been one true Israel the whole time though physical and so forth, one true Israel the whole time, and that is spiritual Israel. What we also have here is, in a sense, like just more fullness in the new covenant. Why? Because now all the Gentiles are being brought in. It's not that there weren't Gentiles saved in the Old Testament. Just like the work of the Spirit was present in the Old Testament, but there's more of a fullness that was poured out on Pentecost and and so forth in the church now. But, what we read in Ephesians 2, Therefore remember that, you've, that formerly you, the Gentiles in flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. They, they weren't part of the covenants that were established then. Um, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And truly, everybody in this room should say amen. Because, barring maybe a few of us, any Jewish roots are not present. And um, we in that sense would all be Gentiles. And we have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. Um, this also was a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Where he would be the father of many nations, and now, as you see all the spiritual seed from every tribe, tongue and nation streaming in, um, and so in, in in that sense, you have that fulfillment on the spiritual side in the new covenant, all the nations being gathered uh, in Christ. And so I hope you know that this has been helpful, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot to study, a lot to try to you know try to boil it down into like, here's just you know. The sound bites if you will now go study the rest um, <laughs> hopefully it's been helpful hopefully as you read scripture you'll uh, more and more will um, you know kind of stick out make sense there's things I said that didn't make sense I mean certainly come talk to me but hopefully as you study more too it's like the dots will start uh, the dots will start to connect more and more um, so any final thoughts comments questions yeah Romans 11, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, I think at that point. Yeah, so ultimately, I think what there is, is like you have a remnant, of course, right, of, of Jews uh, that are still to be saved. Um, and there is Gentiles that are yet to be saved. And in many ways, it's like, um, it's not that Jews aren't being saved now. Right, it's not like okay, all the Gentiles are saved, and then now all the Jews are going to come in, but it's just saying, even as he says in Romans eleven, it's like to make them jealous in some sense, and ultimately to um, bring them, bring all the believers in who will believe between Jew and Gentile alike. Um, and yeah, that's right. And I think you can go through different periods of, like hard, you know, hardenings where it could be a, you know, whatever the length of time is and you have Gentiles that are streaming in and then you know, maybe a Jew here, a Jew there type deal. But at the end of the day um, those who are of the elect, both of Jew and Gentile will be brought in and then Christ returns. So... Uh, Well, I mean, you could say all Israel in the sense of um, truly all those who are Jews who are to believe, but I think all Israel is true Israel, true Israel, both Jew and Gentile. So the spiritual Israel will be saved at that point, meaning that full work will be accomplished. Any final other thoughts? No? Okay, let's go continue our worship.